Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you this morning. My name is Tim, and uh, it's great to have you here with us on Memorial Day weekend. I know a lot of people are out and about and doing some things. Maybe their last big chance to do something before summer begins. Good to have you with us today. Uh, we are in a series of lessons on the 12. I'm calling it the 12. We've been looking specifically at the 12 disciples, the 12 followers of Jesus. And from that, we've been learning some great lessons. And I was very uh, pleased to, uh, to hear Mike last week do John, did a fantastic job. And uh, today I want to talk about someone else that's listed uh, as the one of the inner circle, one of those members of the inner circle. Let's look at a passage here that lists all 12. This is up here on the screen if you'd like to follow along in Mark chapter 3. It says, these are the names of the 12 he chose. Simon, he renamed Peter, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus called them sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, a member of a political party advocating a violent overthrow of the Roman government, hmm. Judas Iscariot, who later would betray him. I couldn't help but think, this is a very interesting group of fellows, huh? Uh, how would you like to be a part of that small group? You've got some guys that, uh, well, Jesus says, ah, we're not calling you that. You know, we're going to change your name to something else. But you also have more than one guy with the same name, so you have to kind of make a distinction between them. And on top of that, you've got a guy that's in there that's ready to overthrow the government uh, at the drop of a hat. And then, of course, good old Judas, he's always known as the guy who, well, you can't count on, uh, and he betrayed Jesus. And when you look at this group, it's not just a, a, an interesting, colorful group of, of, of followers. It's also an ordinary group of followers. And I, I don't know if, how you feel sometimes. I know uh, when I started attending church, um, especially in the churches of Christ, I felt like a thumb. I wasn't sure if I would fit in. And then I look at this group... <laughs> And I think to myself, of course you'll fit in. Because it doesn't take us very long to notice that we are ordinary people. And we we all have our own little idiosyncrasies and little traits that we carry with us when we come together. And think about this. Even though that exists, no matter where you are, Jesus wants you. He wants you to follow Him. And by the way, GAC wants you too doesn't matter what age you are or whatever weird thing you got going on. Listen, you fit in here. This is not a perfect church. It's made up of imperfect people. And if you don't feel like you're, you're perfect, guess what? You're going to fit in here just perfectly um, because that's how God made the church. And all He really calls us to do is follow. He calls these 12 men. He says, I want you to follow me. And it's true not only with the 12, but you and I. As followers today, we're called wherever we are, wherever we are, whatever part of life we're in, whatever stage in life we're in. All he simply says is, "Come, follow me," and it will transform your life. Now, I want to uh, this weekend because it's Memorial Day weekend. I wanted to talk about a particular fella in this list. Um, before I do, the history of Memorial Day is sometimes confusing. It sometimes it gets confused with Veterans Day. Many times it does that. Actually, the Memorial Day was originally called 
Declaration Day, and it was after the Civil War when it was shortly implemented, where small towns and cities both in the north and south began to decorate the graves of those that had been killed in the line of service for their part, their side of the war. They would decorate and they'd have speeches and they would honor the dead. It would be almost a hundred years later before uh, the government would finally pass a bill that would say, okay, we're going to call this Memorial Day. And that took place in 1971. And since then, since Declaration Day and as it evolved into Memorial Day, not only were the dead of those that died in service during the Civil War honored, but every war that America has been in, it's a time to honor them. It wasn't about hot dogs and cookouts and an extra day off at work. It was to remember, to remember those that died serving while serving our country. That's why I've chosen today to talk about James. Because James is the first one to die while serving Jesus. Very first, very first of the twelve. Um, what do we know about James? Well, there's a few things to know about James. First, he's the son of Zebedee. And if you know, look at this passage up on the screen in Mark 1. It says that, that without delay, Jesus called them and they left their father Zebedee. That's James and John. Notice it says they left him in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So Zebedee's has a fishing business, but it's not just a family business. It's got other hired people in it. It's a growing business. And the thing about businesses as they grow, their influence and, and the connections they have in the community also grow as well. So they've, they've, they're rubbing shoulders or hobnobbing, as someone might say, with some of the businesses and leaders of the, of the towns they were a part of. Uh, notice this passage here in John 18. John makes this point. He's talking about himself and Peter. It says, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. And this disciple that John is talking about is himself. And he and James, along with their father Zebedee, they knew a lot of the big shots in town because they were, they were, uh, well off. They were wealthy uh, and successful businessmen. And because of that, they got special privileges maybe most folks didn't get. Being able to go into the high priest in the presence of the high priest was a big deal. Not anybody could just willy-nilly do that. Another thing we know about James is he's a passionate guy. You know anybody that's passionate? You know, maybe they're loud, obnoxious. They'll say just about anything. You know anybody like that? Don't look at me. Look at somebody else. Yeah, I know that's true. You know, it's true, isn't it? Yeah, that, that, that's what passionate people are. They just seem to have this loud behavior, body behavior sometimes. Oh, we get excited and it's up and down. We're like yo-yos sometimes. And, and James happens to be very passionate as well. And it's based on some deep convictions he has. You can count on James and his brother John to bring up questions none of the other disciples would, would bring up. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? You know, can we sit at your left and right hand? Remember the disciples got really torqued about that. How can, you know why? Some people think maybe they didn't think of it first. But anyway, the, it, James was a very passionate man. Let's call some lightning down. 
from heaven and let's destroy these Samaritans. He was a part of that suggestion as well. The thing is, being a son of thunder made you a lightning rod for critics. You, you were a target about this big. Here and here. That's how passionate, that's what happens. And because James is passionate, he is, well, he is punished, ridiculed, persecuted, and killed. Another thing we know is obvious that James is the older brother of John. How do you know that? He's always listed first. And there may be quite a few years between them that, that James is much older and supposed to be wiser and uh, John very much younger. And you see these guys always, always connected together. James and John. It was James and John that went with Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus asked James and John and Peter and James and John to come along with them to Gethsemane. They're always together. They're like the dynamic duo. It's kind of like Danny and me. We're just, we're always together. Um, and we like being together. The only time that James is ever mentioned to be by himself is in this passage on your notes in Acts 12. And look what it says. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother John of John, put to death with the sword. James is the only member of the twelve whose martyr martyrism, his death, his execution is recorded in Scripture. The only one. And when it's listed, he's by himself. And so I thought it was fitting that on Memorial Day weekend that we would look at who died in the line of service. Now, uh, Tom and I were talking. He texted me. I sent him the notes. And he goes through them and edits them. And he has to do a lot of editing because I went to school in southern Illinois and we butcher the English language and spelling. And he said, man, this is a dark lesson. This seems like to be a dark lesson. Well, how do you talk about dying without being running the risk of being dark? I mean, come on. But Memorial Day is a serious holiday. I know we don't think of holiday. We think of Christmas, Thanksgiving, holiday, happy holidays. But Memorial Day is, it is a holy day where we set aside to think about those who have died while in service. There'll be a lot of cemeteries visited this weekend. A lot of American flags being placed near markers of servicemen from families and friends and just people who want to remember maybe the, an unknown person. And so this idea of dying, uh, I, I, every point's going to have this dying in service for Jesus. I'd like to encourage you if you want, let's make it positive then. Cross out the word dying and put living above it. Right? Living. Because it's the same thing. It's the same thing. And I'll show you why. So why is dying or living in the line of service for Jesus so significant? Number one, that dying or living in the service of Jesus for Jesus is tied to following Jesus. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going, you're going to run, you're going to die. You're going to die. Now, when is that going to happen? And by the way, and not just a physical death, but it's a lifestyle of dying. 
Look at this. Jesus was very clear. He says to these guys, he says to them, then they're going to arrest you and, persec- and you'll be persecuted and be killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. Right now, every six minutes, a Christian is being killed around the globe. Did you know that? Every six minutes. Before I get done with this sermon, about eight people are going to be killed. Eight Christians. Not because they just happen to be called Christians. Because they're actively trying to get the gospel out. Look what Jesus says here. He says it this way. Whoever wants to be my disciple, be my follower in other words, must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. He's using this idea of taking up the cross. It's, it was a popular way to die in Rome. And he's using that, that metaphor, that image to really ingrain into his followers. You've got to carry, you're going to die on a cross. You've got to carry this cross. It's a life of, a lifetime of dying. You don't get your way. You know, James reminds, or Jesus reminds James of this cross. Remember the, this, this story here in Mark 10. James and John, it says, the sons of Zebedee come to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit on the right and the other on the left in your glory. Wow. They're asking, we want to be close to you. We don't want to set, I got seven grandkids. Every meal. I want to sit by Papa. No, I want to sit by Papa. I want to sit by Papa. And they're all, and I'm sitting in the middle and I'm going, look, look, wait a minute, look. I've got you here, here. I'm right across the table. I can touch you. And I grab their ear or poke them in the face, you know. See, I, we're close. We just got a table. It's a, I'm not next to you. Yes, you're the way you are. James and John are going, we want to sit next to you. And everybody, you know, the, by the way, disciples get pretty indignant about this. They go, oh, man, who do they think they are? They're always trying to jockey for position. Well, they're in the inner circle. Come on. We want, we want to be, we want to stay close to you. We want to sit at your right and your left. Notice what Jesus says here. You don't know what you're asking. <laughs> you have no idea what you're asking. I mean, can you drink? This is what he says. Can you drink? Can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? What's he talking about here? Can you drink the cup from the cup I drink? Didn't Jesus pray about a cup one time? We did a, we did a camp. A church camp theme, some of you remember, called Pick Up the Cup. <laughs> what happened was, uh, Olivia Tankersley one time, we're sitting there and everybody's dropping cups everywhere. They're all over the camp. I go, guys, pick up the cup for crying out loud. And she goes, Tim. And she holds up a styrofoam cup, a little camper. Pick up the cup. Maybe you ought to, do, she goes, maybe you ought to do a whole week at camp on picking up the cup. And I went, next year we're doing Pick Up the Cup. And we did. I got all the kids a little cup. And it has a hand hold, pick up the cup. And we talked about the cup of, of service. See where we went with this? And Jesus talks about a cup in Gethsemane. And he says, Lord, is there any way to take this cup from me? Remember that? But not my will, but yours be done. What's he, what cup is he talking about? It's the same cup he's talking here. The cup of suffering. Are you willing to take up the cup of selflessness? 
Are you sure? And, and this baptism, he's not talking about baptized in a baptistry in water or baptized by the Holy Spirit. No, the word baptism comes from a, a Greek word, bapto, which means to be not only to dip, plunge, and immerse, it also means to be overwhelmed with something like water or the Holy Spirit or calamity or suffering. And he's saying, you guys want, you, you sure you, can you, can you drink this cup? Can, can you drink the same cup I drink and be baptized with the same baptism? What Jesus, Jesus, what baptism did you, did you experience? What were you overwhelmed by? The sins of the world? That's what he was overwhelmed by. That would make him cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You sure you can be baptized like that? And look what they say. Almost in unison. We can. And then he says this. You will drink from this cup. The same cup I drink. And you will be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. What's he saying? Following me is connected to dying for me. I read this out of the, the training of the twelve. Is it up on the screen? I don't even know if it's your notes, but I found this and it's an A.B. Bruce book I bought way back when I was a twenty-something. It says, if crosses would let us alone, we would let them alone. Huh? That's not true, isn't it? We don't choose the bitter cup or the bloody baptism. We are chosen for them and in them. See, following, following is tied to a dying lifestyle of service. Romans 12 says that. We're living sacrifices. And see, in James and John, they'll catch this, they drink from the same cup. Yet, the outcome of their lives is so different. James is cut short. His life is cut short. John lives and dies what we call of natural causes. So what's he really talking about here? When we're talking about dying for Jesus, is he talking about the lifespan or the lifestyle? You follow me now? See, as a Christian, as a follower, he's calling us to a lifestyle, no matter how long that life will be, of surrender. Of dying. I've realized that Memorial Day really isn't about remembering how men and women died while serving, but how they lived while serving. In fact, the way, the way they lived is the major reason of why they died. They died based on the values, the, the, the values that um, they had. And see, that's the second thing I want you to see here, is that living or dying in service for Jesus is a testimony of my values. Let me ask you something. What are you willing to die for? Ever thought about that question? It's a very, very sobering um, thought when you think about it. What am I willing to die for? I know that uh, 
Probably the quick answer, am I willing to die for my family? Many of you would say, absolutely. Somebody gets between me, every mama bear in here, every papa bear in here, get in between me and my family, and it's your toast. I'll die to save my family. I, we know the stories of people who in order to save their children or somebody else's child or their nephew or niece or whatever may have died in the process in order to save them. Of course, that's what people want to die for. Country? Are we willing to die for our country? That's, that's preached at us since we are born. Or maybe it's a cause. Maybe it's a cause. And like I said earlier, that's what, that's really what it's about. That's what Memorial Day is. It's about not looking at the death of the person as much as the life of the person. There's a little, uh, thing here from the letters from Iwo Jima, uh, asks this question. It's a very human question. What am I willing to die for? And, uh, as enemy forces were overwhelming this Japanese general, he writes these words. It's a letter from from Iwo Jima. He says, it's strange. Though I swore to fight here till the end of my family, there's another me that hesitates to die because of my family. What's he saying? He realizes that, you know, as he's facing this imminent danger, this question of what he's going to die for, he realizes that not only what he's going to die for, is what he lives for. That they're interchangeable. And I believe knowing this, answering this question, yes, it's, it's good to ask, what am I willing to die for? What hill will I die on? But also, understanding that answering that question helps me discover what I'm willing to live for. Because they go together. Um... Look at this passage here in Romans 14. If we live, we are living for the Lord. And if we die, we are dying for the Lord. So living or dying, we belong to the Lord. Notice Paul puts them both together. That living and dying, whatever whatever it is, we're going to live for the same reason we're willing to die for. We're going to die for the same reason that we'll live for. He says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. Yes, we live under constant danger because we serve Jesus so that in the, so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. I think about, you know, again, people die for all kinds of reasons. You, I mean, you just, just follow the phone, you know, and your, and your news and you people, you find out people die for causes, for cults, for celebrities, for glory, and all of these are tragic compared to dying for Jesus. Now again, I want to remind you, I'm not talking about just physically dying. I'm talking about this lifestyle that says, I'm going to let go of me. I'm going to die to myself. See, there's no better reason to die or live than for Jesus Christ. And James understood that. That's why he was willing to die die because for Jesus, because he already lived for Jesus. So the question is, will I will I die for Jesus? Maybe you ought to just ask yourself, am I living for Jesus? That'll tell me what I'll die for. Here's number three. Dying or living in service for Jesus has a powerful impact on others. 
Have you ever seen someone die? I, um, I was studying with a fellow who had cancer named Jess Ellers. And um, we're studying the Bible together, looking at what the Bible says. He, he's, he wants to be baptized. And so he's in a bed. And I'm like, what can we do? Because Well, the family goes, we got a jacuzzi, man. We'll just fill that thing up and we'll baptize him in there. Great idea. They get it full. We wheel him over. We got him about this far away from the thing. And I kid you not, his head rolls back. He turns gray. His eyes go up and he dies right there. About 18, 20 inches away from the baptistry. Now I like to believe, and I, I, I firmly believe, you know, God counts that kind of stuff. But can I tell you, I never was the same after that. I left that house different. When you witness somebody dying, it's different. It does something to you. Oh, it reminds you of the brevity of life and, and the existence of God. You see the gift of life and you see there's got to be more than this. Spiritual thoughts go whizzing around your head like you've never seen. Jesus had that impact on people on the cross. Look at this passage. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Jesus, the way he died made people go, that's got to be God's son. Made a criminal say, remember me. Watching how he handled dying. Stephen in Acts 7 we find he's being he's being stoned. He says he says, Lord, you know, receive my spirit, forgive him, receive my spirit. And and as they're throwing rocks, the attention Luke goes away from Stephen, and you see a young man by the name of Saul with coats at his feet. What's that mean? It means he was the guy that started the whole ruckus. He's the guy that said accused Stephen. He's the guy that threw the first rock. And Saul, this young man Saul, would later become Paul. Most of our New Testament, we wouldn't have without this man. And yet it's the impact of the way Stephen dies. There's a historian named Eusebius that, that captures and remembers the words of Clement of Alexandria when he talks about James's uh, execution. And the story goes like this. An, a, a, a guy uh, turns on James, and and what happens is this informant uh, watches James and follows him through this quick trial to his execution. And as he watches James, he's so moved because James makes it clear, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, that the informant says, me too. I am too. And so they lead both these guys out to be beheaded. And, and as they're walking out, the informant says, I'm so sorry, James. I am, I, I'm so sorry. Can you ever forgive me? And James, the guy who used to call down lightning from heaven, calls on God's love for this man. And says, oh, you have nothing to worry about. You're totally forgiven. And they both die. They're both beheaded together. 
Here's what Jesus says, in, or John says in John 12, what Jesus says. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Look what he says here. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies. Notice that. Circle that word, unless. Just circle that word. I don't want you to forget that word. Unless this happens, he says. If this, unless it falls to the ground and dies, then it says it remains only a single seed. Oh my. Circle that. It only remains a single seed. But if it dies... But if it dies, I heard a sermon by David Parrish years ago called, But If It Dies. Powerful thought. But if it dies, what happens? It produces many seeds. And he says, and he says, this is so challenging. Because he says, anyone here who loves his life, you're going to lose it. All anyone who hates his, their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Listen, church. Listen to, listen this morning. Let's, let's, Let's honor James, honor Jesus and honor James and honor those who have died in service by having a like-mindedness here. That we're willing to, as, we're willing to display a living death style when things don't go the way we like. When something tragic happens in our lives when we're treated unfairly, that the world gets a front row seat. This is what it's like to follow Jesus. This is the, this is the living death style. And they're drawn to you and I and to our Lord because of it. That they see, they watch us respond as a living sacrifice. We don't crawl off that altar, we stay on it. And they see. They watch and see. You're for real. One of the things we're discussing at camp this year, we're doing Christian evidences for 7 to 11 year olds. This is a challenge. But our, our staff we've got this year, we are going to slay this thing. I know it. And the last lesson that the kids are going to hear is God's greatest evidence of all of His existence. You want to take a guess what it is? It's those campers. You want to know one of the reasons, one of the top ten reasons people don't believe in God is because of hypocrisy in God's followers. Oh, how I just, I, I'm asking you to, to, and encouraging you. Let's let the world see what it's like to follow Jesus, to carry this cross. Because why? Because this will really change the world. This is what really will make impact. Peter said it this way, friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life in your neighborhood so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side. And there'll be, and, and they, and be there to join in the celebration when He arrives. You want to talk about influence? When people see they're willing to die, to die to ourselves. I don't have to have my way. I don't have to be satisfied with this. 
I can live with the disappointment. It's okay if somebody else gets something I don't. I'm not going to fall for that. Number four, dying or living in service for Jesus is much easier with other followers. I'm a scaredy cat. I'm afraid they'd had an axe and the account of Tim when he was by himself, he ran away screaming and hollering. But there is something powerful when you have someone with you constantly to help you in those dying moments. Look at the Bible says here, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a difficult time. you got to admit, dying ain't easy. It just isn't easy. Someone says, you want to be like, uh, was it Ray Liotta died in his sleep? I said, man, that's the only way for me because I'll kick and scream the whole way. I will fight it to the bitter end. I like life. But you know, I notice I do the same thing with a lot of things in life that I have that I like. The death of those things are not easy. The death of habits, the deaths of sin, of an attitude, of a grudge. You follow me? They're stubborn. And I wish they would die while I sleep, but I wake up and they're still there. They fight to the bitter end. And it is a bitter end. But the Bible says, ah, there's a brother that's born for those difficult times. I happen to, I've told my brother this, when I think of, see this passage, I see my brother. He's gotten me through some of the most difficult times in my life. I'm not saying that you know, this is grounds for having multiple children, but consider it. There's power in numbers. And maybe you're an only child. I want to tell you that God supplies in His kingdom brothers and sisters to help you when you're facing those moments. And James had a brother like John who was always with him. He not only had a family tie, he had a faithful tie to James. And I believe it's brothers like John, sisters like John, that what? They prepare you and I for those moments, those crunch times where we have to decide, is it going to be me? Is it going to be my way? Is it going to be Jesus and His way? Because there's great power. Listen, there's great power in numbers, especially if they're redemptive relationships. Some of you have friends that you don't have a spiritual thing in common with them. And you, why am I so close to them? Figure that out. I, I'm not. I'm not going to comment on it. Some of you have friends that you have so great close friends in the world, but very shallow friendships in the kingdom. You're crazy. You're crazy if that's the, if that's your choice in life, because there's power in redemptive relationships with other followers. Ecclesiastes Solomon says this. An enemy might be able to defeat one person. Notice what happens to one person. Might be able to defeat one person, yeah. But two people? <laughs> they can stand back to back and defend each other. And three people? You went from two to three. Notice that? Three people? Huh, they're even stronger. They're like a rope that has three parts wrapped together. 
very hard to break it. And it's in these kind of relationships that we, that greater ultimate, listen, God, Jesus wants you to have these kind of friendships. And by golly, we want the church to have these kind of relationships as leadership. You want to know that? That's true. You want, you need these kind of relationships because they help us deal. Well, we have to have those moments where we go, I want to put to death this habit, this stronghold, this sin in my life, and I'm going to need some help with it. They supply that support, that direction, that wisdom. It just makes it easier. It's not easy, but it makes it easier. And James, I just have this idea, James, when he's getting going to be beheaded, he's thinking about all the times he and his brother, those moments they had together. Oh, we got, remember when we prayed and fell asleep? Jesus comes in all torqued about that. Remember when we was on the Mount of Transfiguration? We saw Moses. We saw Elijah. Holy cow. We're not together. Some Someday we may not be together, but you keep going. You keep going. Don't you stop. I can see older, older men. Listen, older brothers really, really got a special place for their younger brothers. And you know what I'm saying? We're supposed to protect them. And James is the one, first one to go. Oh, John. I'm going to show the way. I had no idea it was going to be like this, this quick. It's like taken out of the first quarter. In the game. There's something powerful in that. Do you have that? Do you really have that kind of friendships? They're gold. And they help us to die in service. Number five, dying in service for Jesus is the best way to live. It really is. It's the best way to live. Look what the Bible says here. Then I heard a voice from heaven. This is John speaking. It said, write this. From now on, there are great blessings for those who belong to the Lord when they die. The Spirit says, yes, that is true. They will rest from their hard work. And what they have done will stay with them. What's he saying? Following Jesus is the best way to live because it's, it has an eternal element in it. And everything that we do on this earth, I, I know some, sometimes, and I've been guilty of this as well, well, if it's just for this life, you know, the Christian life's the best life. Paul says we should be pitied more than anybody. I get what you're saying. I got, I got what I was, I've, I've said the same thing. You know, Christian life's the best life even here on earth. But you know what makes it the best life here on earth? Because of what's coming afterwards. Eternity begins now. It stays with us. And the Bible, I, lo- I read this passage about every funeral, every funeral of a Christian, I read this, that, I read that passage. How great it is to die like that. Serving the Lord, while serving the Lord. John would say this, uh, we quote Jesus here in John 12. Whoever loves his life, uh, they have will now lose it. But whoever is willing to give up their life in this world will keep it. 
don't know, I just a thought just occurred to me in this world. The lifetime in this world will keep it. Wait a minute, the lifetime in this world. How can you keep something that's over in this world? Because there's more afterwards. They'll have eternal life, he says. Whoever serves me must follow me. And my servants must be with me everywhere I am. Well, there's a sermon. Notice it says, my father will give honor to anyone who serves me. I think about the the bitter cup of, of James and John, which is so interesting to me. They drank from the same cup, yet one life lifespan on earth was shorter than the other. Yet they both died. They both died while serving. It may be that the big question is not, "Am I? What am I willing to die for?" That may not be the question today. Stop and think about it. It's what will I live for? Because I'll die one way or the other. Uh, in um, um, there was a coin. There's a Roman coin that uh, was a popular coin, and um, it has on one side of the coin an oxen, and on each side of the oxen, one side of the oxen, it has an altar for sacrifice, and on the other side of the of the coin, um, it had was it a, a halter or a it was some kind of a a, a, a thing to where yeah it was a, a, a halter uh, a, a, or a yoke kind of a thing, and what you saw was this coin was and, and underneath it it said ready for either ready for either now and and that's the question I want to. Just give you, as we think about those that have died while serving our country, that we think about, you know, some of them didn't, didn't even get to the beaches of Normandy. They died before they got there. Others got all the way through it. But they were ready for either. And as a Christian, whether we be a James or a John, will I live my lifetime here, either way, for Jesus Christ. So the question this morning to simply ask yourself is, what am I really willing to live for? Because it is what you will die for. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for uh, just the powerful thoughts this morning. And Father, we pray that uh, we'll have the courage to take on a living death style. That, that we won't see death as something dark, but as a way of becoming more like you. And that we'll welcome those moments, that we'll, if we, if we even have trouble welcoming them, that we'll at least address them and, and look at them through your eyes and know that these critical times when we decide between our way or your way, our life or your life, that we choose you and from it, by honoring you, you can someday say, "Good, well done, good and faithful servant, and honor us. Thank you for Jesus Christ who died while serving. Thank you for every Christian that died while serving. Like all those that died while serving in all these wars, we benefit from the freedom 
that they provided by their blood. And we, we recognize the benefit of our freedom, our life from theirs. Oh God, help us be like James and be willing to, to start dying now while serving You. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.